Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and get started now. Welcome back to Since We Loud Radio. This is Brandon, and I'm joined by, of course, the host with the mostest, Carl. Carl, how's it going? <laughs> the hostess. Uh, the, host, the host with the mostest. Yeah, I kind of did it reverse. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> wow. Um, good, good. Yes, I'll, I'll be leading us today. No, I'm just kidding. The uh, we, we finally successfully took back over the studio from uh, Jay Mack and Kyle Beats who were hijacking our show, uh, not unlike executive decision. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was, uh, it was a struggle to be real, but I feel like you're probably more of like a Halle Berry and I was a Kurt Russell in the entire situation. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. It, it was really unfortunate when Justin threatened to, uh, pull down his pants and, and rub his nether regions on his, on your chair to kind of like claim it as his own. But uh, I think we were able to foil that uh, that whole animal. disasterly plan. Yeah, he's an animal. Good, good lord. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and it's how annoying, you know. Yeah, I mean, like if you're gonna if you're gonna get assert dominance over someone, uh, I guess that's the way to do it. To just you know rub your junk on something. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad we were able to stop everything before the graffiti and everything else started to begin. Good Lord. Yeah. I mean, we had to really lock that down. He, I think if uh, he's taking uh, any kind of dominance cues from anyone, it's probably Mountain Dog. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Got to mark your place. Got to mark your place. Got to yeah. figure it out. So, yeah, man, it's been a while since uh, we've been on here. It, it feels like it's been longer than it's been. Um, of course, we've both been busy with family and traveling for some and, you know, everything else. But, uh, yeah, tell me about your break and how everything went. Good Lord. The end, of, the end of last year, the end of 2019 was uh, just a mad dash. You know, we, we got ready. I, 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 bet, I bet I spent a week getting ready for the trip to Georgia to go see Mountain Girlfriend's family, right? Which is, it's always fun. Always a great time. Uh, the drive is uh, not fun. And we, we tried to get that done in a as fast as, as possible way. Um, but you know, when you get the dog with you, uh, God, it just, it slows everything down now. And now, and now it's not like the dog jumps in and out of the car, right? He's got a ramp that he like uses to get in and out of the car because the back <laughs> surgery. And right. so it, it's, it's like this entire apparatus for the dog. But, uh, but no, it was, it was a really good time. Uh, we, we spent a, a really good amount of time with her, her family, with her friends and everything, and kind of did Christmas away from my family this year, which is a first. 
And then uh, when we, you know, before we left, we did kind of the Christmas stuff with my family and all that. And then uh, we came, when we came back, um, I actually had contracted the flu Mm. while I was over there. So, uh, and this is after I got the, the flu shot and everything this year. So, which I think is pretty funny. Don't, you know what? Anti-vaxxers don't call this show. <laughs> Just don't, don't, don't call this show. Don't t- tell me about the, the chip the government put in your head. Um, I, you know, the main thing is that I wore down my, uh, my white cell count enough to where I got, I, I, I was probably surrounded by someone who had the flu mm-hmm. and I ended up getting it anyway. Uh, good news is, is the, uh, the vaccine kept me from, uh, from having bad symptoms, you know, oh, but okay. I was still, I was still driving home, you know, 15 hours with oh. chills and, you know, a fever and crap like that. And so I was just kind of like, I mean, a granted, uh, mountain girlfriend and I traded off. And so it was more like me popping Excedrin like Skittles, you know, and then, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll drive for a while. And then I'll, when it starts to wear off and she looks at me and it looks like I'm about to keel over and die, then she takes over and, and, uh, the process begins again. But, uh, yeah, I, I had the, uh, the real pleasure, uh, of spending new year's Eve sick and alone with the dog. I mm. sent a mountain girlfriend off to go be with her friends down in Austin who she rarely gets to see. And, uh, and I thought that was a fun little deal for her. Uh, we got to FaceTime and everything. It was great. And then, uh, and then she came on back and all is hunky dory, but, uh, but yeah, no, to go in order to go faster to Georgia, uh, yours truly bought a radar detector because I thought that was the end all and be all answer to all things going above the posted speed limit. And I can tell you without a, without a doubt that if you actually invest in a radar detector, do research, do not buy a bad radar detector. Um, I will tell you that my buddy of mine actually got pulled over with a radar detector uh, when he was when he was driving around college and things like that, and the, the officer walked up on him with a thing blaring, right? Because I mean, the, the cop cars right behind him, and uh, and all he does is roll down the window, and the officer looks at him and goes, uh, "Didn't work for you, did it?" <laughs> I, was, I was like, "Oh, well, I don't want that scenario." So. Uh, I invested in a pretty good one, and then I actually did uh, quite a bit of research. And it is not a police detector. I will tell you that right now. Uh, you have to actually drive smart and safely, and don't be an idiot. And don't tailgate people and dumb shit like that. But it, you have to. Uh, but it, it does give you a little bit of a forewarning when a police officer does have their radar detector on. And yes, it is legal throughout all the states that I was using it. So uh, if you're going to get one, do your research is all I have to say. We had a very, a very good experience with the one that we purchased. Um, and uh, and I'll, I'll go ahead and go on the record and say right now that the one that we've got is a, is a unit in uh, product. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. so uh, you know, escort, obviously a very good brand as well. Uh, Valentine one. 
uh, very good. But yeah, if you're if you're going to go down that rabbit hole of radar detection, um, and I'm I'm an engineer, so uh, whether or not uh, legally or safety wise, you can argue with me uh, all day as far as if that's a good idea or not. But from a uh, pure engineering perspective, I still found it fascinating. So it went bleep and bloop on my windshield, and that was fun. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, what are you gonna do? I, we we survived. And, uh, and it was a good experience. I mean, like overall, I think we drove very safely and, and, uh, got, we didn't make exceptionally good time just because the dog, but, mm -hmm. uh, but, um, yeah, Sam Bino, how fast he, it takes him to drive from, from Georgia. You know, he's like, ah, it took 11 hours, you know, <laughs> he's, he's, he's got like the dog in the back of his car and everything. And he's just like, nah, it's fine. Like, he's booking uh, it. yeah, yeah. Like the dog peed in the back seat. Like we didn't stop. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, but I, for us, it, for some reason, it just, it took forever. Probably cause I was, I was driving like a Nimitz class truck. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. across, uh, across the country. But, uh, that's my, that's my life. Um, I did get, I did get these pretty sweet socks. I'm going to show those to you right here. That was my, Oh, wow. The gifts I had their pup socks is, uh, is I'm showing, showing Brandon, my pup socks. They have a picture of mountain dogs face on them and, uh, <laughs> looking, looking like an idiot, the lovable <laughs> idiot that he is. And, uh, and so, yeah, no, the pup socks thing was pretty fun. And then uh, her uh, her family got me some uh, some kind of like uh, drinking like whiskey glasses that were uh, they had the ballpark in Arlington. Oh, yeah. Uh, map on them, which nice. I thought was really, uh, really kind of a cool idea. I'm finding that Facebook is doing this thing now mm -hmm. where if you're in a relationship with someone on Facebook during you know the holiday times, you start to get blasted with all of the funny cutesy shit that they would like. Right. And they get blasted with all the cool, like gizmo stuff that you would like. So she's like, Oh, like why am I getting all these ads for like a can opener that doubles as like rifle ammunition? And then, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm like, why am I getting 900 different ads for like dog related story time books and, you know, pillows with, my you know mountain dogs face on it and stuff like that facebook has cracked the code you know they you're sitting across from someone while you're looking at your phone and you're going like oh no shit that's exactly what i should buy for you yeah so yeah it's uh good job uh and also facebook you terrify me <laughs> um yeah they're uh they're algorithms man dude algorithms yeah am i right yeah okay so what how was how was your uh, time off. What what did you get to do while you were enjoying your time? I know you got some a pretty sweet uh, vinyl collection going and things like that. What's up? Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was a good time seeing family. Um, and I my dad ended up getting me a Audio Technica. Uh, I think it's the LP one twenty X USB. So it's it's a it's a manual. You know, you got to like drop the the stylus needle on there and nothing's automatic about it but uh it's nice because it has a really nice preamp in it and it's something i've always wanted i wanted to get into turntables for the longest time uh, my cousin uh sean a uh, shout out to sean he's got a uh turntable as well as a massive collection i think he even has like reel-to-reel -reel tapes so you know 
he's very much the audiophile that you know I've always wanted to kind of like start to amass a collection kind of like him. So uh, yeah, I was uh, pleasantly surprised getting this really nice uh, Audio Technica turntable and getting it all hooked up. And it's nice because you know producing the show, I have this uh, this mixing board and able to plug it into that and and listen to it on my headphones and. You know, so that's been really nice. Eventually, I'll get some nice, you know, speakers to go with it once I, you know, get that uh, settled. But since then, I've just been amassing like a, a nice vinyl collection, going and checking out this place called Josie Records. Uh, it's over off 635 and Josie for all of our Dallas listeners. Uh, highly recommend it. Really awesome local shop. Um, the guys have been doing it for years and they'll bring in. A lot of uh, newly remastered stuff, 180 gram vinyls, as well as uh, you can find a lot of used vinyls. They even have like a section full of vinyls that are like one to two dollars each. So you can find some pretty amazing gems in there, um, whether it's a rare soundtrack or a rare variation. But uh, yeah, I think uh, of the different vinyls that I've got so far, I've gotten everything from a few different albums from like Depeche Mode, Nine Inch Nails, of course, Tool. Dave Matthews band. Uh, and I even got yesterday, I picked up uh, this store called FYE at uh, Grapevine Mills Mall. I got the Blade Runner soundtrack, the original Blade Runner from 1982. And that is an excellent vinyl. Uh, There's a lot of stuff in there that you don't even hear in the movie, but it's, it's just, it's excellent. So, so if you have a, if you have a reel to reel, does that mean that you're actually the King hipster? Is that how that works? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess if you have real to real, you are the king hipster. Uh, I, from what I've seen, that is not uh, cheap. It's, no, it's very expensive getting that kind of stuff. So you know, vinyls are definitely uh, pricier than say like buying a CD because CDs are real disp- disposable and, and cheap technology. Um, and then you think about vinyls is the thing that I didn't think about a long time ago is that. You know, you're getting a vinyl. Say the it's it's out of print. So the last time this was printed uh, was back in like the mid '90s. Well, to find something that hasn't been open and it's out of print, you're looking at spending maybe like a hundred to two hundred dollars. It's it's right. insane. Versus if they reprint or have a remaster, um, you know, you can get it probably like thirty, forty bucks. So yeah, it, so it's it's it does cost you a little bit and starts to add up over time. But if you have a the income for it, like I do, it's uh, it definitely helps. Um, I would say so far the the best sounding albums that I have is probably uh, Crash by Dave Matthews Band, which is excellently remastered, and uh, Violator by Depeche Mode, uh, which is the 1990 album that features Enjoy the Silence and Policy of Truth, and you know a lot of their their hits uh, off of that album. That one's probably the best sounding one that I have, but. There's so many more that I want to get, but it's it's just a matter of, uh, you know, just like building computers. It's kind of like, okay, uh, trying to separate needs from wants. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm going to have to try and hit the brakes on it a little bit here in a, in a bit. Yeah, you go crazy for a while. Who cares? Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, that's, that's, that's part of the fun. But uh, so you watched some movies over the break, right? Yep. Tell me, tell me exactly what you, th- I mean, there was, there was one movie in particular that you actually sent me, you wanted to tell me about, tell, tell our, our faithful listeners exactly what that movie is and why you liked it so much. I was intrigued. Uh, we talking about six underground. 
No, no, we're not talking about Six Underground <laughs> because I'll talk about Six Underground. I, and we'll get to that in a sec. You know what? Everybody, stay tuned for some hot Six Underground talk. What? Why don't Carl's why don't hot takes? Me? Yeah, Carl's hot takes. Not to be confused with hot cakes. No, not hot cakes either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, dude, I just got a beautiful image in my head of like the ultimate hipster mountain Carl where all I did was make pancakes and listen to reel to reel all day and give everybody influenza. Yeah. And give everybody <laughs> influenza. <laughs> that's more of like a super villain kind of yeah, thing. That's not really cakes. a Whoops. hipster thing. Yeah. In my, in my weird suburban apartment, I, I sit there and toil away with my influenza. A, <laughs> uh, you, okay. No, tell, tell everybody about the movie. You use, I'm tired of, I'm tired of waiting. Yeah. I watched, you, uh, before I start talking about six underground. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I, I checked out this movie I'd been hearing about uh, for a while called Freaks. Um, this was done, I believe, in 2018, and it's an indie film. And I, it's kind of strange because you can tell that they got a good amount of budget on it. The effects are really good. The acting's really good. And there's some really great actors in it. you got Emile Hirsch. Uh, I can't remember who plays the, the girl in the movie, but she does an excellent job. And uh, you also have Bruce Dern and a few other um, well-known actors in there as well. But uh, essentially, the the premise of Freaks is it's kind of a sci-fi film, but it starts off kind of like Room in a way. But you have this father, played by Emil Hirsch, and he doesn't let his little girl outside. He has all the windows covered up so you can't see outside. And he, he keeps her locked in because he said, there's dangerous people out there. They're out to kill us. And so as soon as they, they find you, they'll kill you. So right there you you're kind of taken into that perspective as the listener where you see this little girl and she she's able to peek outside and she sees an ice cream truck which bruce stern is serving ice cream which is kind of a funny image but uh you, you know <laughs> you, you kind of feel bad for this little girl because she doesn't have like the same life that the girl across the street has and you're like yeah this guy's messed up and then you're like hmm maybe there is something to this as she starts to try to go outside and uh it basically starts off kind of like room but then it it takes a sudden sharp turn and it turns into something completely different but very awesome sci-fi film and uh, the acting in it everything is like just uh just really everybody brings their a game into this film uh very well written directed everything so i can't recommend it enough it's called freaks um i actually watched it on amazon i rented it i believe it's like four bucks for hd uh, so definitely recommend that. It's also out on Blu-ray. I did see it in uh, Best Buy the other day. So yeah, I'd give this movie an A. For all six people that actually go to Best Buy, you can pick it up on Blu-ray right now. <laughs> now the uh, I want to point out something. Bruce Dern's character in this movie, his name is Mister Snowcone. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, IMDb. You did it. Yep. Um, let me uh, let me tell you about a really good movie that I watched over the break. Um, it's called Six Underground. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Have you seen it? Unfortunately, I don't know. <laughs> we 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 kind we kind of uh, you know beat this dead horse already. I'm not going to bore everybody with going through it. But I saw it twice. I saw this movie twice over the break. Ask me why I saw it twice, Brandon. Uh, one, you couldn't remember it because you either a had too much flu. Or B, you drank too much whiskey. Okay. All of those things are realistic. But let me <laughs> tell you that I had, I did have the flu. I did enjoy the flu the first time I saw it. 
And the second time I saw it, uh, believe it or not, uh, this and talk about like your all time cosmic joke. Uh, I talked to Mountain Girlfriend about oh, what movie do you want to see tonight? I was like, I was hoping we could see the Irishman. To, I was saying we could probably see the Irishman together, you know, and and hang out, and watch it. She goes, oh, I was really hoping you were going to watch that while you were sick because I'd really like to see that uh, Six Underground movie. And I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> 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 like, I, I watched, I, I told her, I said, I watched Six Underground so you didn't have to. And she goes, no, I, I think I think it looks fun. And, and to be fair, the the trailer does look fun. Yeah. Okay. I, and, and I will I will give my honest opinion on this. Um, it was a mess of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that much we've already established. It survives on Ryan Reynolds' momentum alone. I actually laughed at several parts of this movie because Ryan Reynolds was funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, he always brings it. He's always great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, however, it certainly wasn't enough to uh, save the movie. I had issues with uh, like character motivations and stuff like that because mm-hmm. a lot of it just seemed uh, really ham-fisted in the writing. And... I talked to Mountain Girlfriend afterwards and she said, no, I, you know, like I, I get the whole redemption arc thing and all that kind of stuff. But I, I think that my issue isn't necessarily a character with a redemption arc. It's a character that you don't understand really where they started from. You know, you know where they ended up, but you don't really go, get a good feel for how they began their character arc. And, uh, and I really feel like this movie suffers from that in the way that everybody's talking to each other like oh we don't need to know each other's names we only need to know each other's numbers also let's all sit around a diner and and hack it up like we're a family real quick but don't fall in love don't you fucking fall in love with each other because uh don't enjoy each other's company but also laugh at each other's jokes eat every meal together and uh don't mourn people when they die i was just kind of like um yeah that sounds realistic. Um, okay, whatever, man. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, by by the time we were done, and that was the conflict that I had the entire time. It was uh, Ryan Reynolds, you know, chummy, fun personality at odds with the fact that he didn't want to know anybody's name and he wanted everybody to die alone. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's it's kind of like a really it's a very strange dichotomy painted for you uh with this character and i think that's the problem i had the most with is like i struggled to understand his motivations above everybody else but uh aside from that the things i didn't like um aside from typical michael bay shenanigans i i literally wrote out you know what screw this i wrote out exactly the shit (laughs) that showed up in this movie i'm not waiting to hear this I know it's it's fine. Like the fir- the very first thing I wrote is market uh, carts with fruit explodes. That's the first thing I wrote on on my notes page. This is literally like a, a cart of fresh produce blows up when a car right like is flying over it, yeah. like not into it. Right. So uh, explosive melons, great name for a band. <laughs> also something that happened while I was watching. 
um, oh, okay, Ryan Reynolds, uh, b- you know, billionaire that we've never heard of, made his money from magnets? Question mark. Uh, <laughs> magnets. We all we, we all know uh, magnets are such a lucrative business. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? If if you made your money in magnets, call the show. Just just fucking call us because I will be honest. I don't understand how those two things correlate to each other. He, he made up magnets and magnets somehow weren't existent before Ryan Reynolds turned them into a cash cow. Um, also, uh, okay. So the nobody's personal, but we all have a great family dinner. Um, the, uh, oh, okay. The th- one of the things that got me, this, this movie suffers so much from the, uh, like we're going to do it because it's cool, not because it makes sense. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is, which classic Michael Bay. That's fine. And and I, and I'm used to that kind of thing. Like if somebody said, uh, for instance, where's the best place to hold a military promotion? Uh, my immediate answer would not be on top of a building, right? <laughs> on top of a rooftop. Yeah. On top of a rooftop, like a skyscraper. And uh, I had a problem with that, by the way, the, the way that that building was, because you see a, a far, like a, a wide shot, and the building is like curved at the top and then it shows close up and all of a sudden they're on like a four by four like square rooftop and i'm like what the hell like there's so many inconsistencies uh, be easy architecture critic yeah sorry how how exhausting (laughs) now if we do uh if we do talk about that there is there's something that i noticed the second watch through uh because i did watch this movie twice i cannot emphasize that enough i watched this movie twice uh the point where they're doing that prom- that uh, military promotion on top of the buildings uh and uh, i'll go ahead and spoiler alert they they kill the generals they're trying to promote to make some kind of point shocking. um yeah shocking uh really uh creative writing and then when they are dragging the military generals over to the side of the building to throw them off uh as one would do at a promotion ceremony, uh, everybody decides to cock their AKs at that very moment. Like it's a firing squad. So the big twist isn't necessarily that they were thrown off the building. It's that they weren't shot. (laughs) (laughs) Robbie, like that's, that's what we're working with here guys. Yeah. Uh, So also parkour for days. We discussed that. Um, Yeah. That's, that's fine. And his name, his name is, is uh, like his, is kind of, thing everybody's like the hitman the cia spook and his is the skywalker yeah the sky that's the, i should not I, I should not dwell on that too much they, that's they, just annoying to they me. should have just called him the pain in the ass that uh constantly ends up in peril and you have to go rescue him yeah exactly the guy who almost dies always um is that guy and again me being nitpicky but in his backstory, right? He's like stealing this priceless items, you know, this like mm-hmm. priceless jewelry. Right. And, uh, instead of putting it in a sweatshirt pocket or in his backpack, which he carries around like an asshole all the time, he, uh, puts it in his mouth and decides <laughs> to run from the police with a, you know, multi-million dollar necklace hanging from his mouth. Yeah. So, uh, I've done that before you know, where I find my most expensive thing that I own and, and put it immediately in my mouth and then run through the hallway. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just didn't expect to see someone else do it on film. So here we are. Uh, everybody's flipping everybody the middle finger in this movie. 
Yep. Everybody. I I'm I mean, if you didn't if you were an extra and you didn't flip off somebody in this movie, uh, you just didn't hear the direction from Michael Bay. So you could it's safe to say that that'd be a drinking game that'd be uh applicable. Ab- oh god, yes. And you have to you have to be looking for it too. Because it, it's everything from like while they're driving and people are flipping each other off yep. to while they're flying, people are flipping each other off yep. to where they're like talking on the radio, you're getting flipped off. I, I mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess it's just like universal. Like it, it's kind of like lowest common denominator, you know, like, well, I'm tired of, of dropping F-bombs, you know, so right. I'm just going to flip people off. You know, I don't know. It's it. It was so weird. It was just a weird touch, which is very much Michael based style. Um, oh yeah, every single time they splice in Ryan Reynolds' weird exposition about why they're called ghosts, because they do it about four times during the movie, and he talks about how you know it's so liberating to be dead, and we need to go kill other people that are bad, and we'll never be remembered, but we're also so awesome, it doesn't matter. Uh, th- those times where it keeps research, like coming back, uh, it's very obvious to me that they cut like four different clips of that for a trailer. Yeah. And then they were like, God, like all of those are so good. Can we just put them in the movie somewhere? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, seriously, that's what it felt like. It was yeah. just kind of like while you're like doing this weird sweeping view over the city, which was, by the way, the slowest shot in the entire movie lasted mm-hmm. for about 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. And it was just a picture of the city. I thought they were going to chop that up and shake it around and, and maybe like have some like cool like cheetah and like car racing sound effects yeah. behind it. Here's an but angle from the sewer. Here's an angle from the bird. <laughs> Here's an angle from the guy walking on the street. Yeah, it's so stupid. Oh, but uh oh yeah um the the person in the cia decided to uh roll with a pump shotgun in each hand which is uh <laughs> i for those of you who don't understand how pump shotguns work um you need a hand to reload so that's difficult when you have one in each hand it looks cool yeah right yeah. but uh you know not not great uh, not great teaching from the CIA, apparently. No, not or, at all. Or the Michael Bay School of Thought. No. Uh, strange TXA, or THX placement in the movie. Yeah, that um, was very weird. Yeah. Uh, so I won't spoil that for you because it doesn't matter. It's literally 10 seconds out of the movie and it's very dumb. I'll go ahead and say there are a couple things that I'll, I'll mention before I'm done railing on this movie. Uh, one of them is the fact that there are such random shots of throwing grenades, like, and I'm talking like miracle shots, like weird shit that you just like, don't expect to see. There's mm-hmm. like a, 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 one scene of parkour guy fighting with this bad guy down at like a, a second level of this building. Right. And it's yeah. like this cool scene and, uh, it, it's like solid fighting and I guess it's the one of those scenes that doesn't like chop around or shake around or move around and it's actually pretty good uh, and then guy on second floor of building uh, does not want to shoot his friend and parkour guy you know fighting on the bottom level that makes sense 
So what does he do? He grabs a grenade um, and, he, and he hucks it behind like next to them and explodes the area behind his friend. Yeah. And like, because uh, I don't know, Brandon, if, if you were fighting some bad guy on a second story, you know, I, I don't think that the first thing I'd reach for is an explosive device to, I don't know, like throw you off your game because that would probably kill you. Right. So yeah, I wouldn't do it. Unless you unless you had just absolute nothing but control with grenades. Like that's what you were known for. Like in, in Michael Bay's school of villainy, you were the guy who was known for hucking grenades. <laughs> That would then you may be having like the an amount of balls to do something like that, but no, it and some of these were insane. Like they're they like dropping grenades inside of girders, like four hundred floors up. You know, just it, like such weird miracle shots with grenades. It didn't make any sense. And then the uh, the final thing was there are uh, in a lot of. Not a lot of films do this, you know, where they'll come back and they'll and they'll go over with audio and stuff like that, and they'll be like, "Oh, well, this would be better if we actually had more audio here," and so we will go ahead and double over you, kind of deal. Um, there's a scene where uh, one of the guys lands on on the yacht, and there's a lady that just is like laughing uncontrollably, oh, and there are yeah. subtitles underneath the lady who's yet yeah. like laughing. She says nothing. And, and so basically like that, that's like me being silent and then having subtitles beneath me and then smash cut to the next scene. Like it was really weird to see that. It was real weird. And, and two, I remember this scene cause it was in the middle of like, there's actual explosions going on in the city. There's gunfire and, and it's like some drunken lady who's on this yacht Who's just like oh, I don't know anything that's going on. I'm just gonna laugh. This guy just landed, you know, just parachuted in the in the yacht. Yeah, drugs, man. Yeah, Whatever. I guess so I guess so. That's fine. Anyway, that's my six underground uh, shot by shot retake. <laughs> sorry, guys. I know I started out saying like, oh, we've beat the hell out of this, but then I I'm sorry. I had something I had to say you know, about this movie. It, when, when you sit down and watch it twice. It's like a itch you can't scratch. It's it's one of those things where you just gotta you gotta talk about it. It's that's one of those films that really gets to me too. Got it under my skin. Um, real quick before we get into uh, Mandalorian review, uh, other things I watched during the holidays, of course, Die Hard, uh, best one of the best Christmas movies of all time, and then I also finished up watching the Watchmen uh, TV series. Uh, on HBO, which was really, really great. I'm going to review that uh, next episode, so listeners, stay tuned to that. There's also a little bit of uh, Trent Reznor ARG that's going on involving that and the vinyls that were released with that, so a lot of uh, cool things going on with that that I'll cover on next week's episode. Very cool. Let's uh, let's discuss The Mandalorian. We're, we're done, guys. We, yeah, we finished we The Mandalorian, and... Uh, and if you're smart, you did too, because there's another season coming out 2020 of the fall or fall of 2020, I should say. And uh, and that's a good thing for people who enjoy Star Wars. Um, we're going to watch the the new Star Wars here uh, pretty soon and we'll have our own takes on that. 
Um, and uh, basically after six underground, everything is going to seem great. So uh, we won't have a problem witnessing our final Star Wars entry. But what do you think about what do you think about Mandalorian episode eight? Uh, so there's a lot to digest here. There is. Uh, obviously, episode seven left off where, um, you know, Quill was basically gunned down and the stormtroopers on the bikes uh, picked up the baby, uh, picked up the child, as it's known. And uh, that's where it left off. So you and I kind of talked behind the scenes of like, OK, I'm totally hoping for and expecting that the IG droid uh, gets into kick-ass mode, and we kind of see a little bit of what we saw in the very first episode of yeah. The Mandalorian, and, but where he's on the good side and protecting the child. And that's exactly what we get here at the beginning of this episode. Um, that's right. I love the beginning of this episode because it starts off where you kind of have some banter going on between the uh, the biker uh, stormtroopers. and That's right. You know, they they're going back and forth come to find out they're uh one of the stormtroopers is voiced by jason sudeikis uh, <laughs> yeah saturday night live fame and also horrible bosses a hilarious actor and uh there was another guy who voiced the other one i can't recall off the top of my adam polly yeah adam polly so uh yeah they're going back and forth uh you know uh baby yoda bites the other one's finger and and then uh Next thing you know, here comes the droid and uh, just totally breaks their arms and just annihilates them and right. gets the, the child. And, you know, of course, Baby Yoda's having a, a blast just going top speed all the way into that town. Yeah. And here comes the droid just going like full on in blitz and just, uh, man, unloads onto him. And it was it was an awesome scene because you see him kind of working together with Mando and, and all them and they're kicking everybody's ass and. Next thing you know, it's like, you know, here comes more and, and they, they kind of had to find a, a way out. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, this leads up to the scene where you, you finally see Mando's face and uh, he's almost dead, but the droid saves his life. So he totally has a different perspective on this droid that they can be reprogrammed and have and have a good purpose to serve. Uh, yeah. And, but, and yeah. he uses back to spray to uh, yeah to heal him as well for, for all of you weird nerds that are in the extended universe and stuff like that, that you will immediately recognize that. But, uh, but yeah, definitely, you know, heals them up and everything. And then, uh, and then they go down, go down to the, the sewer. But, but I guess before, before they do that, they get into like a really solid, you know, firefight. I mean, I, we need to, we need to mention the fact that like, there's, there's probably about solid five minutes of just pure ass kickery. Yeah. Before before we get into that. Yeah, you really do. And you see Mando just walk out and he's just like no looking, just like killing people left and right. Uh it picks up that huge uh I can't remember the name of that that cannon, but that, that yeah. huge almost gatling gun of a laser and taking everybody out. And uh and you know, you you see just nothing but carnage um going left and right. And yeah, eventually they're trying, they're, they're going to get burned out and you see baby Yoda step up to the plate again and protect everybody. And that kind of like was enough for everybody to just be like, okay, let's, let's keep this going. Let's not give up. Right. I, yeah. Most of, uh, most of Mando's kind of like, uh, 360 no scope headshots, you know, ends with the explosion of that giant gun you know, and, and that's why they need to, to heal him and everything. Um, but it was, it was great. I mean, like it, it's, it's something that you get to witness, uh, 
his opinion of droids change and uh also it keeps the action moving and stuff like that so it, it again uh mandalorian narratively strong yeah uh, moving moving through all the action and everything they don't they don't hold back i've heard i've heard mandalorian compared a lot to video games yeah and and how uh, there's like an upgrade structure and how a lot of it is so action oriented but they're telling a story while the action is taking place and i think that's fair you know i, I think there is there's certainly justification to compare it to to video games and things like that but it's an, it's an interesting way to tell a story because usually it's not uh that's not the direction you'd go with it unless you're playing you know street fighter the movie the game <laughs> or something like that yeah right so like it's it would be interesting one day to see a video game try to capture the magic of the tv show if that's possible versus, you know, a TV show trying to capture the magic of a video game. Right. Yeah. Uh, it was real fascinating seeing uh, Moth, Moth Gideon and just how relentless he was to get the child. And, um, you know, of course, they have the, the best actor of all portraying him, um, Breaking Bad fame. Yeah. But it's... Uh, Giancarlo Esposito. That's right. Yep. And I didn't know that Moth Gideon is featured on the um, that show called The Rebels. Uh, and on Rebels, somebody told me this uh, at work that, you know, it, it, which is an animated series uh, for yeah. Star Wars. I'm watching Rebels right now because I'm actually five years old. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's uh, it's actually it's, one of the voices is Freddie Prince Jr. Oh, way. yeah. yeah. I, I, that's right. I heard he was in that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot taken from that that's in here, which I'll get to towards the end of this episode as we, we get towards it. But I want to. I want to uh, talk about something in the when they're in the sewer area, and he gets close to where the I guess the um, sort of the Mandalorian armory places where you know that that chick who upgrades the armor and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, Emily um, Swan, the Forger, whoever the hell you want. to Yeah, yeah, the Forger, and you know I I really liked her character that she's just she has such a strict code. Uh, before you get to that, you see a like a pile of really just um, helmets and and all the gear that the Mandalorian are known to wear, and all this stuff is just piled up. So the one thing I, I guess I didn't catch, and maybe I missed a line or something because they were really going at a really fast pace at that point. Yeah. Uh, did they all just give up and and turn everything in, or? were they killed and then there's the pile of all their stuff like that's why i, I couldn't think determine. they were killed yeah okay. i think that was the gotcha. the main takeaway because this is the way i mean they're not going to just kind of like throw their helmets off and be like well i gotta go um you know i think that's generally what was accepted is kind of like who did this you know yeah uh who came in here and did this and he was freaking out he's like grief did you do this you know and so uh everybody Everybody kind of got, got after each other, but uh, when they they talked with the forger, she was just like, uh, "Nope, it was the Empire. The Empire still sucks. Uh, please kill them." Yeah, okay, so, that that makes more sense now because I was kind of trying to figure that one out. But uh, yeah, uh, real interesting, and and the the fight scene she had kind of had like a Assassin's Creed type of uh, vibe to oh, it. Oh yeah, but, yeah. Uh, God, I love that fight scene where stormtroopers surround her and. 
they asked her to get up and she smashes them with like these clubs and stuff. And it's the first time you really see this happen with stormtroopers, but the plastic and all the stuff from their helmets, you just see shards of it just go flying. Yeah. And it, uh, like, when she caves, them, it caves in a stormtrooper's face, yeah. which is exactly what you would want to see at that point. Yeah. See, that's the kind of stuff that I want to see in a star Wars film. Like yeah. they need to stop doing this whole, you know, everything's kid friendly and you know, let's, let's get to some like dark stuff. Get some uh, hard R yeah. star Wars going on. I'm, I'm glad they, they started doing this at least on the TV aspects. So I don't know, hopefully uh, this will have like an impact on star Wars films. Kind of like what seems to be with uh, the Joker having an impact on DC films. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one can hope. Hey, be easy. Do you know who doesn't have a caved in face? <laughs> Who's that? Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. So excellent. I mean, it's well, it's hard to it's hard to argue with that. I don't think Audible has a, a caved in face, no. especially a caved in stormtrooper face. So yeah. Yeah. Um uh, let's let's talk about the uh the terminator 2 ending to yeah uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, i mean like is that well is that fair? before we get to it uh the only thing with that i wanted to bring up was the ig robot which was voiced by taika watiti taika watiti also directed, directed the final it. episode yeah. um and did a really great job directing it but seeing the the droid just kind of like march through that lava and just self-destruct to save everybody i thought was really really awesome scene yeah Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a strange way to go about it. You know, the, the whole like lava river and that kind of thing that so much of this, if not all of it has been storyboarded, you know, and it, and it shows there, I mean, cause of the artwork that they, yeah, they kind of show after. Yeah. It, there was, uh, there was a pretty well planned out end to the characters that were going to end uh none of it felt slapped together yep and when you get to the the final fight um bando takes out a freaking tie fighter you know i mean that's that's got to be some serious street cred right yeah i thought that was really well executed i and you know it, it might not look as sharp as the movies but i still thought it looked excellent yeah no i thought i thought they did a, a great job um I did not expect him to uh, throw on his jetpack and and rock out that fight that way, but uh, that's that's pretty much dead on. I yeah. mean, it, it was great. Um, so so tell me more about the the rebel connection that you're seeing. Yeah, so the rebel connection, um, you know, so Moff Gideon is in his uh, Tie Fighter and tries to kill them, and of course is unsuccessful because. They all suck at shooting lasers. Who knew that shooting lasers would be so hard to do and be accurate at? It's uh, exhausting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which, oh, and, and before I get to that, that was the other thing I really liked about the banter between the stormtrooper bikers is they're trying to kill time and trying to shoot something that's laying in the desert, and they, they both try and they can't hit it. <laughs> yeah, there was there was definitely a moment after the first shot where I was like, is that really what I think is going on? It's so you know, great. like yeah. it took it took a second, but it was it was pretty great. Just making fun of them. So uh yeah. so anyways, Moff Gideon's in the TIE fighter and uh Mando, you know, hooks on to it kind of like Batman style and 
ends up uh, taking him down with like a, a time detonator, you know, mine or something like that. And so he ends up crashing and then they all kind of like go their separate ways and Mando takes the child and flies away and happy ending, right? So, you know, they get back and they do their sort of like speed racer thing where they're like, we did it. And they, but they fail to, he fails to, <laughs> except for all the laughter where it's all just like, right, they're all yeah. laughing at the same time. But uh-huh. yeah, ha ha ha. But they uh, fail to go over to the wreckage of Moff Gideon and just like, well, he crashed. He's probably dead. So uh, I'm not going to confirm. I'm just going to go on. And I'm like, yep, he's, this is what's going to happen. He's definitely he's, okay. Yeah. He's going to leave and we're going to come back to it. And he, he survived and. And that'll lead to season two because he's not going to stop at anything to get Baby Yoda. So the the connection with uh, Rebels is the how Moff Gideon gets out of his Tie Fighters. All the Jawas were, which I like that a lot. Where the, the yeah. Jawas are collecting shit, and uh, he uses this. You think it's a it's a lightsaber, but it's actually a sword. It's an energy Ooh. sword, I mean, which. Not too dissimilar, and I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, that's like a rip-off Halo or whatever. Oh, yeah. Brandon, it's yeah. not a lightsaber. <laughs> it's it's not an energy a... sword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how dare you copy Bungie? But uh, no, <laughs> a- apparently this has been sort of like uh, placed into the Star Wars universe through uh, canon of books back in the day, uh, graphic novels, and then, of course, in Rebels, it's featured because Moff Gideon actually has this in, in Rebels. So what this sword is, it's actually from the planet that the Mandalorians come from, and whoever has that sword can control the... Uh, and this makes more sense now that we talked about what they found in the sewer. Uh, basically, whoever has that has the power in, and is basically at the top of the um, pyramid of power um, to control Mandalorians. Right. So, you know, basically they give a command and, and it's not like they're brainwashed, but they have to follow it. You know, it's it's like code of honor, kind of like mm-hmm. what they do. So that makes sense as to why they had that pile of all them. He probably had them just like take off all their armor and then they just killed them. Um, that's probably what he did to command them um, whenever they were, you know, whenever he ended up entering in town, you know, before they got back. So that sword is is featured in Rebels and that's where the connection comes from. And cool. uh, someone who is a really diehard Star Wars fan um, explained that to me. And uh, yeah, so I thought that's really cool. And I'm sure we'll see more about that this coming season. So there's a lot of things uh, that left here that has me really intrigued for next season. But I really like how they wrapped this whole season up with this episode. We didn't know how they were going to do it. I thought it was excellent. They had a really great direction with it. Last, uh, last two episodes were literally a bad dash. I mean, there was no sleeping in this thing. No, no dead air. Um, they, every single moment of this show has been utilized. And, and I think that's great. I mean, you know, even, uh, even stuff that maybe you look back at and you're like, maybe that wasn't my favorite episode, or maybe that was kind of a strange way to do stuff. Um, you know, by the time you're, it's all said and done, at least you get what they're trying to do. Right. right. It's, it's not, um, it's not like my favorite movie six underground. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that again, but, uh, but it was, it was actually, uh, one of the few shows I've seen, um, outside of, uh, perhaps, uh, shows like justified and things like that, mm-hmm. where there wasn't any time wasted building characters yeah 
or not building characters, I should say. There wasn't there wasn't any moment where you're just kind of like doing a nice like artsy shot at like a log or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and being like, oh, I guess we need to burn a couple seconds. Like, let's throw some B-roll in here. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, every single every single moment of the show was utilized. And uh, and that's great because it was less than an hour long episode. And yet what I was done with, what I digested <laughs> seemed to be like a freaking trilogy's worth of information. So good on everybody that uh, that took care of this. Is this did Kathleen Kennedy have anything to do with this show? She's listed did, as a producer. Yeah. Is she listed as a producer? Mm-hmm. You know, I and I think that a lot of people give uh, they man, they they really shit on Kathleen Kennedy from Orbit, um, thanks to a lot of the stuff that she's done with especially with like Last Jedi and everything. But um, you know, I she obviously she has more trouble uh, kind of getting uh, well okay I'm sorry I what I, I keep on doing some false starts I'm trying to figure out exactly what she is doing here to make such a good product with Mandalorian and sometimes mediocre products with the Skywalker saga well I'll, I'll break it down so when it comes to like the Skywalker saga and the film side of things I mean that was the the very first thing that I believe she was brought in um, maybe she might have a, a say or something in, in Rebels in the TV uh, form of it but you know really this starts with uh, you know the Star Wars the new trilogy and, and the very first film with that and so with her she basically oversaw the roadmap or lack thereof and so what they did with the roadmap is they started with jj and then they went away with from jj and it's right it's it's you know it's a good idea to do it um in a tv series when you already have a roadmap like we see with mandalorian um but i think there were too many cooks in the kitchen uh she being one of them in terms of what they wanted to do what they didn't want to do. I mean, obviously you, you saw that she does have an impact and, and has like a big say in the film um, department area with, uh, you know, with solo. Uh, Cause remember when that was being done, it was being made by those two guys. Uh, they usually do uh, comedies and stuff. So they had a certain vision and she ended up firing them and then, um, you know, brought in uh ron howard, ron howard to yeah. try and you know save it which didn't happen so you know I, I think there was a lot of like not knowing what to do she was kind of in uncharted territory wanted to you know and it's it's a very slippery slope especially when it comes to the films because you kind of want to like honor and serve what the fans want but you want to take it in new direction so it's very difficult to do but the best thing to do is just get out of the way and so I think when it comes to TV, you can you could take more chances and risks, but that's what Star Wars is. You should be taking more chances and risks. And so when it, you you look at you know this trilogy, which there's not like a clear roadmap, and they just kind of rushed at the very end and put it all together, and was kind of like okay, there it is. Uh, you know, it's very disjointed versus Mandalorian, where she got out of the way and was like, okay. Um, you know, I'll, I'll let you do it. You know, John Favreau, like you, you have the clear vision of the roadmap and then work with these writers and, you know, I'll check in and see how you're doing. And then that's where you can get away with having multiple different directors like Taika Waititi and Bryce Dallas Howard and you right. know all these others. So, uh, that's really what it comes down to. It also has the benefit of, of not having the expectations placed in front of it. Right. Like it right. doesn't have the, uh, the six movie, 
backbone. You know, it has it has like things that you obviously draw from and and an overall uh, material that Mandalorian seems to appreciate maybe slightly better than the movies, but uh, they don't have uh, they don't have that also standing in their way while they're creating you know the the Mandalorian TV series. Whereas you've got to work in continuity with a six film beloved franchise, right? Whether or not you like the first three or not. Yeah. And, uh, and you really, you really have to build off of that. So yeah, I think there's, I mean, there certainly is a lot to be said for some of the movies like uh, Rogue One, you know, and things like that, that were able to kind of stretch their wings a little bit better, you know, because they didn't have some of the hard stops placed around them that maybe the the main trilogy uh non-elegy did so i mean that's i guess that's one way to look at it yeah i mean i'm not sure what's going to happen with her i don't know if she'll step down or if she'll just focus on a certain area or, or you know maybe get away from the film aspect of a lot, it. lot of rumors sure. going on right yeah now there's a lot of rumors her. going on yeah uh you know is she out is she going on hiatus is she is her contract extended um you know, lots of lots of stuff being thrown around about Kathleen Kennedy. You know, I don't wish ill will on on her necessarily. Sure. Yeah. I just, you know, want to see a good product. So if uh, if she figured out how to do it in TV and she just couldn't make, you know, crack it in film and put her on TV. Yeah. And I think, too, it's kind of like you look at all the films that have been done with Star Wars and the Skywalker saga is you know, I, I haven't seen the, the final film just yet, but I'm assuming that it wraps everything up. And, you know, you look at the response to The Mandalorian and everybody's all about Baby Yoda. You look on IMDb and it's got an 8.9 rating out of 10, which is really, really high, especially for Star Wars. I hadn't seen something like that in a long time. Um, you know, I think Rogue One did really well. So right. it's, you know, I, I think there's, there's definitely a crave from the fans as well as the non-fans like the general moviegoer you know we've been there done that with the skywalker saga there's star wars is such a huge universe and we're already seeing all these other stories and i think there's really a crave for more star wars stories that has nothing to do with the original films and the original characters and i think what mandalorian's executed is definitely the right step in the right direction to building that as well as rogue one i mean rogue one i guess kind of tied in a little bit with uh, the original story, having Vader and, you know, of you course, know, piss, piss some fans off, make some fans happy. I mean, that was by its by and large, I think Rogue One is a good example of a entertaining film. Right. You know, that brought some gravi- gravitas, um, had some plot issues, uh, made some fans of the series pissed because, you know, certain characters were excluded or they were retconned and that kind of thing made a lot of people really pleased yep. with the end product. So, uh, yeah, it's a polarizing film in some ways, but if you're coming in with fresh eyes, I think you'll probably enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, before we, uh, before we get to golden globes talk, mm-hmm. um, and we're, we're wrapping this thing up, we'll, uh, I will say that if you haven't seen some of the earlier, uh, like absolute firing from the hip of the baby Yoda merchandise that, disney plus tried to put out um go ahead go go and see if you can search uh, there's some some links out there that were just like for uh t-shirts of the child 
kind of thing and stuff like that. Oh my God, they're bad. I mean, I'm sure they like, are. Yeah. When you rush uh, merchandise decisions like that, it's not going to come out good. There's no, there's no plush dolls or anything to be spoken of. You know, it, it's like, uh, yeah, they didn't expect to be such a response. And had no. they, had they had the, the foresight of, of doing that? Um, yeah, they would have made a lot of money in sales for sure. Yeah, for Christmas absolutely. Time. Now they, uh, they goofed pretty hard on that. And then some of the, some of the stuff that they actually brought to the, uh, the market was, is so pitiful and bad that it, it's almost like a waste of money trying to create that merchandise. It's put like in a time capsule and look at it later. Yeah. Oh dude, that's what I'm talking <laughs> about. It, it really, it really is the kind of thing that like, if I saw some guy wearing that, it, it better be ironically, you know, it, yeah. it's like a, like a weird, like uh, some of them are like weird, dark uh, kind of like puke Brown shirts that have just like a weird screen printed image <laughs> of, baby Yoda on it, not doing anything recognizable, not memeable or anything, not, mm-hmm. not like the bone broth thing. It's just a picture of baby Yoda. And it just says the child on the, <laughs> on the t-shirt. And you're like, damn, like that, they really crushed it. You know, they, they really put their all into that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So bad. Oh man. But it's fine. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk golden globes. Yeah, so tonight the uh, Golden Globes is going to start up, and there's, you know, usually the the Golden Globes is kind of like a preamble to what to kind of expect at the Oscars, but it's never a guarantee, Um, but you can kind of see a trend going, Uh, but I will say in years past, like, one film might get all the love in Golden Globes, and then it doesn't get as much love in the Oscars, but it's always fun, fun to kind of, like, see, you know, where things are at. And typically, I don't really turn tune into the Golden Globes because it's not taken too seriously. But uh, this is actually a pretty good year that we had. I mean, this is probably one of the best years we've had in a while for movies. Um, for Certainly is twenty nineteen as well as television. And looking at some of these nominees, it's uh, man, it's tough. I, I don't know who I would pick at some of these categories. So we're gonna cover uh, the nominees for the 2020 Golden Globe Awards, uh, and we're just gonna cover just cinematic. Uh, if we went in the TV, this would probably like last this episode another hour. So uh, let's start off for us, Carl. All right. So for best motion picture and drama, uh, we have incredible choices. Uh, uh, one nominee, our first nominee is 1917. Uh, we have The Irishman, Joker, Marriage Story, and The Two Popes. So a lot of things that I kind of brought up here uh, talking to Be Easy earlier was we, we've got a really strong showing from Netflix on all of these categories. Uh, obviously, uh, the three that are going to keep coming up are the two popes, uh, marriage story and the Irishman, mm-hmm. uh, for good reason too, uh, because they've got in like just a star studded cast and an incredible story to tell. Uh, the people behind the camera are rock solid. Uh, it, you know, I, I just think that it's, it's telling of this kind of year that we've had in movies that has been incredible. Uh, just how big of a deal Netflix has been to the award season. And yep. it's really interesting because you talk to some people, they want Netflix out. You know, they, they don't think that stuff that isn't uh, sent out for wide release is, uh, is something that should be considered 
during award season. So uh, regardless of how you feel about that, I think it's very telling that uh, they've made such a big splash here. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that kind of carries through with all the other categories as well. I mean, it, it does. Big representation. You'll, you'll absolutely see that. Uh, what do you uh, do you want to just brush through that or is there something you want to single out amongst these? Is there something I mean, because neither unfortunately, neither of us uh, has seen every single movie. Right. In these categories, we're still playing catch up because the last part of our year was absolutely insane. Yeah, it's crazy behind the scenes and personal lives and stuff, you know, just always busy. So, you know, obviously you and I watched The Irishman. We've reviewed that here on this channel uh, as well as Joker. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the movies I have not seen, Two Popes, 1917, and Marriage Story. 1917 actually just came out, and I want to see a IMAX because they filmed a lot of it with the IMAX camera. But right now, the only ones showing at IMAX screens are, of course, Star Wars and Jumanji. So, uh, which I will definitely see both of those two films at some point as well. So, yeah, I haven't seen the rest of them. I need to watch Marriage Story. I just have to get in sort of like the right mood to watch something that dramatic. And the two popes, of course, you got Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price. You can't go wrong there. So of this list, I mean, this is an incredible list of nominees for best motion picture drama. Um, Absolutely. You know, Joker's the thing. You know, if I had to, without seeing 1917, I hear 1917, a lot of people saying that's the best film they've seen this year. Um, Certainly but, one of the best war movies since Private Ryan. Yeah, but Joker has uh, was really what captivated me. I didn't know what to expect going into that, and that's the one that kind of like grabbed me quite a bit. Yeah, and there's there's something to be said during award season for biggest, you know, dark horse kind of surprise. Yeah, you know, a lot of times when uh, expectations don't meet reality in a good way, uh, you end up actually seeing kind of an interesting edge that you know some. Uh, some movies may actually take on award season stuff. Like if people expect nothing out of Joker and then it absolutely floors everybody who sees it, that's a statement. You know, yeah. that's something that you actually need to to keep an eye on. Um, so it, it could, it could really uh, make a good showing at this, uh, at this year's golden globes. Um, can we, can we start a rumor real quick? I just want to do that. Yeah. I, just out of nowhere. Um since Star Wars and Jumanji are both at IMAX right now, can mm-hmm. we just make that statement that they both take place in the same universe? <laughs> that would be interesting. That would yeah. be fine. I just want to make sure that's that's uh, you know clear for everybody involved. Um, all right. I'm sorry. That was dumb. Best motion picture. Do you want to take that one? Away yeah. Mo- so, musical or comedy? Yeah. Best motion picture, musical or comedy. We have Dolomite Is My Name, which is Eddie Murphy. That's also made by Netflix. Uh, Jojo Rabbit, directed by Taika Waititi. Uh, Knives Out, directed by Ryan Johnson. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, directed by Quentin Tarantino. And we also have Rocket Man, which I can't remember who directed that. But uh, Elton John. No, I'm just kidding. That's yeah, I know, right? Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. this is another strong list of of nominations. Um, you know, I heard Jojo Rabbit's fun, but I I'll get to it at some point. Uh, Dolomite, I, I watched that, which is really excellent. But I'm really happy that Knives Out made it. That was one of my favorite films of this last year, as, as well as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, Rocket Man's great too. Um, but you know, of this uh, category, I'd probably choose Knives Out over Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I think uh, I think Knives Out just uh, just nails the smart writing. 
Yep. Um, and I, there are, there are going to be, uh, people who have differing takes on that. Um, sure. I don't think anybody would say that it's bad writing. Nobody would say it's dumb writing. Right. Uh, you know, people are going to kind of come in at kind of like the lukewarm level all the way to the, I'm obsessed with the level. And, uh, in, and that's good. I mean, like, I haven't met anybody who didn't love this movie yet, right? I mean, is that fair to say? Have yeah. you Have you encountered anyone who is just like knives out? No, that's not for me. I mean, you it's know? still doing pretty decent at the box office, and you know, it's been going on since uh, Thanksgiving. You know, so yeah, yeah, it's really and, smart, uh, smart movie in all ways. Yeah, and Lord knows that uh, Ryan Johnson, uh, you know, his reputation is not, you know, coasting after Last Jedi. So this was a big deal for him. Absolutely. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, like I said, uh, when we, when we reviewed it, you got to see a lot of the small kind of nuanced things that Ryan Johnson does with a big budget, but you get to do it in the non star Wars setting. Uh, you really should go back and watch last Jedi through that filter again, you yeah. know, just to kind of understand the most, you know, Ryan Johnson things that you're witnessing during that movie doesn't necessarily make it a good movie, but, it does kind of inform you on the decisions that were made by the director at the time. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So, uh, our next category here, do we want to do the, the best performance? Yeah. So best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We we've have, got, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Scarlett Johansson from marriage story. Uh, I'm going to, Oh my God, I'm going to butcher this name. I always mess it up. Uh, is it, Saorsi Ronan, how, how do you fix he, fix this for me, Beasy? Yeah, I think it's uh, Saorsi. I think that, Saorsi yeah. Ronan. Okay. Anyway, Little Women, um, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, uh, Renee Zellweger for Judy, and Cynthia Erivo for Harriet. Um, so let's see. I I will say from a trailer level, um, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, blew me away in marriage story uh, again unfortunately that's one of the ones i haven't seen yet but uh the the charlie's throne is megan kelly yeah if if you're going for uh for dead nuts accurate like whatever the prosthetics work and in, in, in work that she did to put in to uh emulate uh megan kelly uh as a person uh was it's it's incredible yeah it's uh, uncanny the, yeah uh, it really is. It's strong act. It's strong, strong acting work uh, to be able to replicate uh, someone else who actually exists today and do it with that level of consistency. Yep. So strong category. Yeah, I, I agree with you, though. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, from everything I've heard, and again, I haven't seen Mary's story, but she brings a lot to this and she's she's the top. Uh, at least as of last year was a top page actress in Hollywood. Um, you know, and she really can bring it, um, as far as like being a dramatic actress and her herself, she's been through a divorce uh, a couple of times, I believe, yeah. you know, uh, Ryan Reynolds was one of them. So I'm sure she had a lot of stuff that she kind of dipped into the well and had to painfully execute to bring to screen. But, um, yeah, I would probably choose her in this category. Unfortunately, a lot of people I think have, uh, more or less forgotten about Renee Zellweger's performance as Judy, even though it was, it was strong, yeah. you know, and, and as, as melodramatic as it probably should have been, you know, there, when you have a uh, little women, uh, 
on the docket. I, it has little women has the momentum right now, I think. Yeah. Um, so we're, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I, I truly believe that if little women wins, it's going to be under its, its own momentum from all of the review cycles that have happened recently. Yeah. Um, because pro- probably uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, I think that, uh, Charlie's throne and uh, Scarlett Johansson are a strong bet here. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, next up, we have best performance by an actor in motion picture drama, Joaquin Phoenix for the Joker, uh, Jonathan Price, the two popes, Christian Bale, Ford vs. Ferrari, Antonio Banderas, Pain and Glory, Adam Driver, Marriage Story. Boy, that Joaquin Phoenix headshot, though. I mean, that looks bad. <laughs> you could tell that's like right when he was starting to gain weight again after they probably just finished production. Because now is, you look at him and his, his hair's all gray and he's got a gray beard and everything. So, uh, yeah, uh, this is another strong category. You know, Adam Driver, I'm sure he's an awesome actor, as as is everybody on this list. These are all yeah. like titans of the industry. Exactly. But, yeah, Christian Bale and, and Ford v. Ferrari was really uh, some of his best work. Uh, and I'm glad he's nominated here, but there's just no way he's, he's going to beat out. It. Yeah, there's no way Batman's yeah. going to beat out Joker here. So uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is definitely going to take this. Yeah, I I think that I would be inclined to agree. I haven't seen Pain and Glory with Antonio Banderas. Um and the stuff that I've seen with Jonathan Price is uh, is more excellent work from Jonathan Price for the two popes, but it's also not surprising to me. It, it's it's good because it's at that level where he can hang, you know, and, and, and do that kind of work that's always strong. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything that sucks. And, uh, and, and he always brings it, but he also has a consistent bill that, uh, that he has, that's, I mean, you, you have to really go above and beyond, uh, act acting wise, uh, in this group. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I would say that there are some excellent, uh, there are some excellent shots with Anthony Hopkins in the two popes. And of course, uh, when I sink my teeth into it later, uh, maybe even later today, um, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna be pretty obvious, you know, if he deserves it or not versus Joaquin Phoenix. But, uh, I would probably put it between those two, uh, Adam driver, always very good, but, uh, his subdued acting style, uh, you're going to have to really convince people on his nuanced, you know, acting and everything. Whereas everybody else in this, in this mix is going to be a little bit more over the top. It's a little bit more energetic acting. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and that, unfortunately that's a little bit more sexy when it, when it comes down to award season. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to go up against this group. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, what we got next? We've got best performance by an actress in a motion picture, uh, musical or comedy. Uh, Anna de Armas for knives out. Um, Aquafina for The Farewell, Kate Blanchett for Where Do You Go, Bernadette? Uh, oh my god, is it Be- Beanie Feldstein? Yep, yeah, that's right, Book Smart and Emma Thompson for Late Night. Um, yeah, it's tough. Um, they all, they all did a good job, honestly, uh, in their own ways. Um, Anna de Armas, I think, 
probably won't be in this category again for a while. And, uh, and so if, even though she's actually, she surprised me a lot in her supporting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, and I could be wrong about this. I'll probably, I'll probably be eating crow, but I feel like if Anna Armas is going to get this one, she needs to do it now. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I I'm very happy that they included her in this, uh, category and that she's nominated at all from knives out. Cause she pretty much steals the whole movie. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody talks about Daniel Craig and he's great in it, but Anna de Armas just really goes for it. And I think it's awesome that she'll be in the next Bond film with Daniel Craig as well. Exactly. Uh, she's really starting to set herself apart from anybody else who is a former model turned actress. Uh, the only other actress I can think of that kind of had that same sort of happening, I guess, is um, the actress from uh, National Treasure, and then she ended up on The Bridge. Uh, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, German um, German model turned actress, uh, and uh, yeah, while you look her up. Uh, but I thought Anna Darmus did a really good job, of course, in Blade Runner 2049, but she really brings it in Knives Out, just the range of emotion. You're thinking of Diane Kruger. Diane Kruger, that's right. So, yeah, yeah and I'm, I'm really looking forward to the rest of her career. I'd love to see her get the award for this, but I kind of feel like that um, Golden Globes, as well as probably the Academy, whenever we get to Oscar time, they'll probably go for Aquafina just because, you know, she's younger and just kind of, you know, it also talks a lot about, uh, you know, just sort of the... It, that movie is more about family and more about uh, different cultural background and how she struggles with how her cultural family does something she doesn't agree with. And so I just feel like they'll probably go that direction just because. Yeah. Um, and I hear she's it, really it's great heavier it. and she carries it. Yeah. So I'd love to see Anna Armas, but it'll probably go to Aquafina. Right. I think that's fair. Uh Okay, you want to do best yeah. performance by an actor in a motion picture, musical or comedy? Yep. So for that, we have Daniel Craig for Knives Out, Roman Giffen Davis, uh, the kid who is in Jojo Rabbit, Leonardo DiCaprio, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Taron Edgerton, Rocket Man, Eddie Murphy, Dolomite is my name. So this is another strong <laughs> list of nominees. Yeah. Pretty, pretty tough. Um, do you think that Rocket Man? edges out most of the list i'll I'll just ask you that because it's that was probably one of the most powerful spectacle movies on here yeah it was real powerful the the thing is i think they released it at the wrong time had they done it later on the year um i think he would have a really solid chance of beating out all these other actors for the award but uh no I'm 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 gonna play some like he he probably definitely beats out Roman Giff, Giffen Davis from Jojo Rabbit who I yeah. hear is excellent in it but um he's he's probably neck and neck with Eddie Murphy but he can't beat out Leonardo DiCaprio or Daniel Craig um and I as much as I love both of those guys I'd have to give this to Leo because his performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is probably like probably some of the best acting I've seen from him I mean even even over the revenant and everything else, uh, he really brings it in his range of emotion. Uh, his his acting skills are just on point with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I would not be surprised if uh, Eddie Murphy 
got it. That would be nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I really I, liked I, him in that. And, and I, and I say this, um, not because of the, not because he didn't do a good job. Um, mm-hmm. but because there are people that deserve awards over time who often get overlooked. Yeah. And the comeback story is, is one of those opportunities to give people their due. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I don't know if the award season has been as egregious about it, you know, as they have like maybe in the nineties, but they, they will, I mean, there are some times when people be like, ah, he, he, he needs it. Like he needs, you know, something to recognize his credentials before he goes out. Yeah. It's very, you true. know, yeah. So it, there is always that possibility, but, uh, but there's, there's not a weak actor on this page. Nope. Not at all. Uh, what we got uh, next? Best performance by an actress in a supporting role in any motion picture. Hmm. Yeah. I'm so <laughs> we've got uh, Annette Benning for The Report, uh, Laura Dern for The Last Jedi. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Marriage Story. <laughs> uh, Jennifer Story, Lopez yeah. for Hustlers, uh-huh. uh, Margot Robbie for Bombshell, and Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell. Um, Again, I really don't want to tinge this with, um, you know, hey, we have to make sure that we give them awards before they're done. But mm-hmm. there is a lot of strong actresses on here who have not fully been recognized yet. Yep. And uh, and they're they're not spring chickens, as they say. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the same is going to be pretty clear for uh, for the the male actors, you know, in a supporting role. Yeah. So, uh, although I will say that most of those guys in that role that's coming up have pretty much been recognized. Um, I think, uh, I think it would be nice to choose someone who has the acting chops that hasn't been recognized yet. That is younger. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like to see, uh, Jennifer Lopez or Margot Robbie get uh, get some kind of recognition, uh, even if it isn't necessarily in this role. So uh, what do you think? I mean, of all the people here, Kathy Bates, I don't think is necessarily going to get it, even though she is an excellent actress. But I, I have a feeling that, uh, you know, Fortune has smiled on her in the past, you know, with some of her more daring roles. Yeah, I'd say this is probably one of the most interesting categories and the most interesting list of nominees to go with it uh you definitely make a good case because they do that all the time they'll award somebody who hasn't hasn't really uh been successful and has been nominated so many times and they they probably just get it to someone who's now like a legacy actor actress uh but i do know that there has been a lot of buzz around jennifer lopez and her role in hustlers um yeah i don't know of if there's really been too much buzz with margot robbie no. Uh, you know, I'm sure she executes it just fine, but I don't think it's going to be award winning. Um, and then, you know, Kathy Bates plays the mother of Richard Jewell and I'm sure she's, you know, over the top as one mother would be when your son is, you know, I've heard she does an excellent job, you know, yeah. like, I'm not taking anything away from her performance. I just, you know, they're, I don't think she's the low hanging fruit here, so to speak. Right. And, you know, from Laura Dern's character, I believe she plays the psychologist or psychiatrist, one of the two, uh, in Marriage Story. So I'm not sure what all. And again, it's like it's hard to know because we haven't seen any of these films. But uh, I do know Annette Benning and Laura Dern are 
excellent actresses, as is Kathy Bates. So yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I think they'll probably give it to someone who has had more tenure here that maybe hasn't won. I'd like to see Laura Dern get it because she's one of my favorite actresses. But she's excellent. Yeah. Um, you want to do this? Is this the last category? Uh, no, we got one more after this. I believe. Okay. Uh, so best performance by an actor in a supporting role in any motion picture. So now we get to the actors. We have Tom Hanks, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Anthony Hopkins, The Two Popes, Al Pacino, The Irishman, Joe Pesci, The Irishman, and Brad Pitt, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, man. This one's uh, difficult as well. That's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I feel like there's no way Tom Hanks isn't going to get this. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, I And I feel like, you know, Anthony Hopkins, kind of like what you, you presented earlier with Jonathan Price. Anthony Hopkins is Anthony Hopkins, you know, unless he's he's doing something just Exceptional. extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, same thing with Al Pacino. Um, yep. And and it didn't really impress me too much in The Irishman. It was just kind of Al being Al, you know. Yep. Um, so I, I wouldn't say he'd get the award here. Joe Pesci actually kind of stole The Irishman. I thought he did a much better job than Al Pacino. Um, so I'd probably give him a leg up, um, but probably still not enough to get the award here. Uh, Brad Pitt. You know, I thought he was great in the film, and but I, I just kind of felt like he was just Brad Pitt being Brad Pitt, you know. Yeah. Nothing too exceptional there. So, yeah, I'd have to give it to Tom Hanks. I mean, it's Mr. Rogers, man. I know. Yeah. That's kind of like what I was thinking is everybody's going to kind of throw their throw their hands up and, and be like I, – and I, and I honestly think that it's it's probably going to come down to Tom Hanks or Joe Pesci. Yeah. Um, And, and the reason why is, is my – my explanation before yeah, I like what to you see Joe to. Pesci get get recognized for his extremely uh, good body of work, especially when he's like really acting his ass off. Which, believe it or not, there are many films out there where that is not the, know, case. the case. Yeah, yeah, it's not the case, but there is. He has he has done solid work though. Right. All right. So let's see. What's uh? What's this last? Uh, yeah. So last but not least, we have best director motion picture. All right. So we've got. Bong Jun Ho, or sorry, Bong Jun Ho for Parasite, um, Sam Mendez for 1917, Todd Phillips for The Joker, Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, and Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, ah, dude. Um, I, so yeah, this I, doesn't that suck? Like yeah. when, when they're all when they're all good. Um, yeah. Sam Mendes, uh, dude's got some uh, years left in him, uh, and and nobody's surprised that he made a killer movie. Yep. Uh, Martin Scorsese, uh, no one's surprised that he did a killer movie, and he's also got more awards than anyone on this entire list. Mm-hmm. Um, Tarantino, uh, does he get a best director here? That's Maybe. tough, man. That's Maybe. Tough. Um, I will tell you this: uh, the buzz around Parasite yeah. uh, is is insane, and uh, it's it's got to be a sleeper in, in all of this, right? Like, it's, yeah, it's got to be a sleeper. That'd be the sleeper pick for sure. Yeah, um, I think uh, I think Sam Mendes uh, is going to get. Uh, cinematog like they're they're going to take care of him in cinematography and special effects and everything else. Like I, I feel like that that movie is going to get massaged in other categories, 
and he'll have something that he can brag about, but he's not going to get this award. Yeah. It, it'll be kind of like what's happened to Christopher Nolan so many times. Exactly. Right. Um, you know, I think it, it's going to come down to Todd Phillips or Quentin Tarantino. Yep. And, uh, and if, if they give it to Quentin Tarantino, it's because they're going to give it to Todd Phillips at the Oscars. Is that fair? Yeah. I, nah, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking was going to happen. Whoever gets the award during golden globes, the other person's going to get it for the Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. And that's happened. I mean, like that's, that's not uncommon occurrence during award season is you've, you've kind of got like, you know, Oh, Hey, you got a golden globe. Like let's, let's go ahead and spread the love here. Uh, unless it's so dominant of a film that it's just so clearly obvious that uh, there's nobody else worthy of it during that year. But that's not, that's not this year for movies. Yeah. So who is your favorite directorial style of these two films uh, for 2019? Oh, dude. Um, I, uh, when it comes to what Tarantino versus Todd Phillips, Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. I, you know, I, this is, it's probably the first time I saw a Tarantino film. It was like, maybe that's not just like pure uh, novelty, which is a shitty thing to say, because I know that a lot of people love Tarantino's direction style. And I do too. Like, I think it's a really interesting way to do it. And nobody directs like Tarantino, but, uh, but Tarantino always directs like Tarantino. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're, you have to find the right material that matches his direction. Um, and, and that's important because he does a lot of his writing too. I think, uh, I think Todd Phillips is, is deserving of this one. And, and, and more so than anything, it's because of the surprise factor because of, uh, and if he doesn't get it for uh best director he might get it for for best script or uh is it screenplay or is it is it writing is it a script no okay so it might be for script but uh i'm assuming he gets nominated later on down here for uh for writing but yeah well i yeah and uh what well, this is the thing like so both of these directors this is what's interesting about this is it's definitely going to come down to these two i believe out of this pack and yeah. outside of the maybe they might do a sleeper choice with, with Bong Joon Ho, but uh, both of these directors are you know usually it's like you'll get a best director but he didn't maybe he was involved with the writing a little bit whatever. Todd Phillips was really heavily into writing this film with Scott Silver and and a few others, right. and he was the one who campaigned to DC and and Warner Brothers and was just like no, this is not going to be a DCU movie. We're going to go against the grain here. It's going to be like Taxi Driver. It's going to be like this, this, and this. Uh, take it or leave it. And yep. thankfully, they they took it. And now we all benefited as as a movie viewer. And then, you know, Quentin Tarantino, he, he always writes and directs his own stuff. He does. So this was more of a surprise um, from Todd Phillips' perspective because this is a guy who comes from, you know, The Hangover. And I remember when he was first announced, like, the guy who's directing is a guy who directed Hangover, you know. I know and, everybody and felt helped that write way. that, you know. So, it, if anybody deserves an award for 
being the most creative and original, it's definitely Todd Phillips. Uh, and, and as far as his directorial style, I mean, he just kills it. There, there's so many parts of this movie where even when it's a scene where it's not dialogue and it's just, you know, um, Arthur walking through the city in the rain and just so many stylistic choices that I just I love from this film. And, uh, you know, Quentin, I thought, did an excellent job, especially uh, recreating, you know, the old school L.A. and driving down the, down the drag. And it'll definitely get its accolades and awards for, you know, the set design and costume right. and everything else. But I think at the end of the day, I think Todd Phillips will win this. And I won't, I won't be surprised if he wins this as well as an Oscar because um, yeah. I, I feel so strongly for his directorial style. So um, that's my pick. I get it. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, man. But we will uh, we will stop there because there are so many other categories, but I just wanted to go over just the cinematic just film and, and uh, cover, you know, the most, I think, anticipated ones that everybody's waiting for. I mean, obviously, we went to TV, we could cover another hour of that kind of stuff because there's yeah, so many. Certainly not the most important of all the awards categories, but perhaps, like you said, the most anticipated. Yeah. Well, I do know that in our Takeover episode series, which was uh, J-Mac and, you know, what they covered over their favorite albums of 2019, we'll definitely cover that and respond to them in a future episode, uh, as well as our favorite films from the decade that was the 2010s. So, right. yeah, we'll definitely respond to that and give our take, kind of give our assessment in terms of what their takes were. Uh, so it'll be a good old uh, fun time. Uh, but definitely had a fun time talking to you today here, Carl. This was a really fun episode. Definitely going to tune into the Golden Globes tonight. And uh, we'll talk about that in terms of who was chosen, who were the surprise hits, or who was mistakenly chosen over someone else. So that'll be fun to go over as well. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank all of our listeners out there. Uh, happy to be back in studio and doing this for you guys. We enjoy it every single week. Uh, catch us online on the interwebs and Twitter and Instagram at Sensibly Loud, Facebook, uh, Sensibly Loud Media. Uh, but thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Sensibly Loud Radio. Bye.